Leading a school district is a unique responsibility, and it's clearly not getting any easier. People rely on you for answers to complicated problems, which feels isolating and sometimes unrealistic. Conferences or webinars, even good ones, don't solve problems when you need it. And sitting and staring at slides with someone talking at you doesn't help either. What if there was a better way? What if you belonged to a national, hand-picked community of Java-alike school leaders who could circle up to strategize and solve your most challenging problems when you need it? What if you had access to ongoing content that helped you solve problems and lead every day? There is a better way. When you join Leading Ed Solutions, you'll join a carefully selected, highly committed group of Java-like peers from across the country, a support system beyond your backyard, school leaders helping other school leaders. Real people tracking real issues in real time. Simply submit your challenge. We'll circle you up with your peers to provide solutions. Our content works because it's accessible, practical, and created by proven leaders just like you. You don't have to lead alone. Apply to Leading Ed today and discover why circles are better than rows. So Glenn Singleton has devoted over 30 years to constructing racial equity worldwide and developing leaders to do the same. He is the author of Courageous Conversations about Race, a Field Guide for Achieving Equity in Schools, and the creator of Beyond Diversity, which is the curriculum that has taught hundreds of thousands of people how to use it. And as the founder of Courageous Conversations, Singleton has created an agency that has developed racially conscious leaders in a variety of sectors education, government, business, law enforcement, and community organizing. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to see you, Glenn. Thank you so much for sparing some time with us today. Um, hopefully you're doing well, and once again, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be here. Good, good. So I can hear you. So you're off mute, and that tends to be my problem when I'm in these meetings. So um, yeah, welcome. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into some Q&A, if that's okay. And um, I know how, how fortunate we are, and I appreciate you being willing to engage, because the reason I put this topic first is because um, it's something that I know is near and dear to me, but also an incredible uh, challenge and opportunity happening right now in the country. And uh, I, unfortunately, I think leaders sometimes are struggling, grappling with this topic because um, they're just so challenged in other ways. And so um, I've been following your uh, career for a long time. In fact, I know you way better than you know me. I've seen you talk so many times. Occasionally, I wondered, I wonder if I could mimic him in some way. I would do a terrible job. I consider you a leader in the equity movement, which um, is saying a lot. And so I guess my question for you is, um, considering what's happening right now, considering the fact that um, this is a ripe time in our country. What are you seeing or what are you expecting um, in the future? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an amazing time. And, and first I would, I would say to um, honor the fact that, that we are not alone. Um, and uh, so when we feel like we don't know the answer, when we feel like we've made a mistake, when we feel like um, you know, we're not progressing. Um, these are feelings that, you know, virtually everyone I speak to uh, has. And so 
Um, first, I want to just recognize that uh, the year 2020 um, has been uh, up to this point just a, a characterization of eyesight and it, it represented perfect vision. And so, you know, if I take that sort of metaphorically of uh, what kind of vision do we uh, get to to authorize and, and where are we right now? Um, I like to think about it as living in three distinct realities, and I call them past, present, and future. And in all of those realities, when we cross it with the idea of 2020, um, we are being called to um, create a, a new pathway forward, to figure out uh, what are going to be the new perceptual markers, and to allow us, ourselves to let go of so many things that we've been holding on to before. And so um, if I think of it in past, present, and future, the first thing about the future is that there are just extraordinary possibilities, Jeff. Um, the, the, the future calls us to embrace these possibilities that, that are, are, are about greater equity, inclusivity, and diversity. And if we fight those things, we find ourselves feeling defeated. We find ourselves losing because um, this is just the evolution of humanity. Um, in the in the, the the sort of future of it, it's embracing those possibilities. In the present, um, we've got to figure out ways to find and own our own personal joy. And um, that is, you know, what is it in this new age? And and so many of us have been, you know, COVID detained. And um, so, how do we find joy with family and friends? And in relative isolation as compared to how we lived just you know six months before. And if we haven't done a good job of figuring out how to find our joy in these circumstances, as we evolve into those new possibilities, there's going to be some loss that people experience. And I appreciate you talking about Heifetz up in the beginning because Heifetz talk talks to us about not fearing change, we fear loss. And so um, to, to understand in this present what we're gaining, we're gaining time with those who are most significant to us, to those who we trust most. And, and so that really tells us something about um, how to live and, and, and what we're practicing and what we see we need to practice in our society is greater compassion. Um, we need to have as human beings greater compassion for each other. We also need to exercise a higher level of empathy than we've ever been called to exercise. And, and so these are new skills that we get to practice with those who are closest to us as we realize the coming of these amazing possibilities for diversity, inclusion, and equity. And then finally, as we think about the past, um, we have not done everything correctly in our past. And, and so many are awakening to racial injustice in our society and, and awakening to um, the notion that it's different for me to live as a black man than it is for you, Jeff. And, and these are not new ideas for so many of us, but they are great awakenings for a lot of people, a lot of school leaders, in fact. 
And so in the past, we have to recognize that these stories have been told to us before, and there was a capacity that we had to deny or minimize or sideline those stories. And as a result, it took a George Floyd, it took a Breonna Taylor, it, it took these harsh um, sort of um, once-in-a-lifetime images of, of my family talking about Emmett Till as an example to, to awaken the society. And so we got to embrace that fact that we are awakening, but we also have to look at why it was that we chose to be asleep for so long. So what I hear you saying, um, obviously, we do have to think about now and the future, but I also have, you know, you're talking about looking back in the past, right? And, and kind of learning from some of our experiences, successes, but also failures. So I, I'm curious. I know that when it comes to equity, uh, the concepts of equity that, you know, the concept, equity when it comes to race is often misunderstood. So for school district leaders, what have you seen as the missed opportunities when it comes to establishing a culture and systems of equity? Yeah, the um, picking up on looking to the past. And, and as you said in the introduction, um, I'm almost 30 years into this game now. And um, I can think about going into so many school districts where um, this whole uh, aspect of equity was seen as a, a problem to be solved versus an opportunity uh, to be embraced. And so the first part of it is that we need to reframe this and and equity can't carry with it this burden and, and all of the problems that, that people have associated with it. It is an opportunity. It is the new horizon for us. The other thing is, is that equity has been situated as a people of color, a student of color thing, and we're doing it for them. When in reality, equity is a human value that creates a betterment for all of us. I, I think about you know, um, my, my workout regimen and I have a coach uh, or a trainer. And if my trainer told me that I was actually stronger than I am, then I run the risk of going into the gym one time without my trainer and overlifting and hurting myself. And so the reason why we need equity is because some people in our society have been told that they're actually better than their performance, better than um, their thinking, more intelligent, you know, more beautiful, all of these uh, images that are race-based. And some of us have been told that we're less than, that, that we, uh, you know, we can't perform at a high level, that we're not beautiful. Um, and, and, and so we each meet in a forum where we have a false sense of self. One is superiority and one is inferiority, but both of those nonetheless are false senses. What would it be like if our society actually functioned in reality, where there is not this false description of who we are, but there's actually a authentic description of who we are. And with that, we each get to put great effort into uh, improving and, and, and being the best that we possibly can be. And so that's what I would, I would say. This equity aspect is good for all of us, and, and we need to embrace it as such. So, and by the way, I appreciate you describing equity as uh, more than just uh, a sacrifice. Sometimes there's a lot of assumptions that equity 
means that I have to sacrifice in order to see equity for others, when in fact, equity is good for everyone. And I think framing it as such is really important and often missed. And thinking into the future, I, I think there's, the time is just gonna be ripe. The ground is gonna be fertile for some needed change. So if you were to speak directly to school district leadership, superintendents, assistant superintendents, et cetera, and you know, you're gonna give them some clear, pragmatic, digestible, it's like cut to the chase advice. This is what I recommend you do and think about as they take notes and write the bullets. Your just brass tacks kind of advice, what would that be for them right now? Well, you, you hinted into it a bit. Um, equity is such a broad topic. And so you got to start somewhere. And uh, it was an unorthodox approach to start at racial equity. Um, and the philosophy behind that was, one, um, race and, and gender are truly race and sex, so truly the immutable. So this is what we see. Um, and we start to make decisions about what we see right before we have conversations, right before you know we search to our higher thinking. So we got to go at these things that we see. And so um, I can walk into a classroom and I can see that there are no black boys in that classroom. And already I get a sense of, of what the course is all about and how, how high, what level of functioning that course is in terms of the curriculum. And those decisions are too often right. And so what I needed to do was to get at what it is that we see or that we think we see and how we build a system around it. So we gotta start somewhere. I start with race and, and I believe that educators need to start with race or they will never get to race. And what happens in all of the other diversity categories is there's a superficial treatment. So we can't deal with poverty and class issues if we haven't dealt with race issues. We can't deal with how the experience of black girls in school right now is one that we need to focus on because we haven't dealt with the aspect of race. And so while we've talked about girls in math and science, somehow that still doesn't include black girls. And, and that is a race issue again. And so that's the first part. The second part of it, when we get our start in race and allow that to be the doorway into the other diversity categories, um, we also have to start treating this systemically versus as random maps of equity as I've written about, which means that this is not about bringing in a program where this is simply not about hiring more teachers or administrators of color. This is about really looking into the heart and soul of the system, into the beliefs that are held by the leaders of the system categorically that are exercised across every function of the system. And so equity work has to happen from the top to the bottom and all through the organization. Everyone needs to touch it, everyone needs to be developed by it, and everyone needs to have goals around it. And then finally, um, when we come to this work, the system does not have a capacity to really hold itself accountable to the difficult conversations that need to continuously be had. 
most systems have uh, internally a financial officer, a chief financial officer, and maybe a couple of accountants that take care of the finances of the organization. And then once a year, um, the organization needs to report out those finances and they want to make sure that they're absolutely spot on. And so the system has an external accounting firm or external financial advisors, and they will tell you, don't just give me your taxes at the end of the year, or don't just give me your data at the end of the year. Let me do a check-in along the way so that if you go off course, we can correct that so that it doesn't affect the rest of your year. Okay, so when we get to the equity, a system also needs an outside partner. Someone who is willing to say the things that the system has learned not to say to each other. And someone who sees things from a different vantage point because the system has learned to see the flaw and accept the flaw. And so whoever it is, you got to get that partner and that partner's got to take the journey with you in order to achieve racial equity systemically. Now, was it, did you say uh, COVID contained was, was that your term, COVID contained? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, assuming that we're all COVID contained to a degree, I guess, let me just ask you this. What's on the horizon for you and your organization? So what's, what's next to come with, you know, courageous conversations? I assume that you've been working on your own, quote, pivot, like everyone is describing. So what has been yours? And tell us about that. And then I know I have some people that have some questions for you as well. Awesome. Well, in, uh, in March, uh, I took my last trip down to San Diego. I was uh, working, um, delivering a keynote for a uh, uh, Catholic school. And um, it was uh, pretty unconventional for me. It's a, it was a strange trip, but it was quick from San Francisco right down. It was a day thing. I looked at it, I thought, hey, let me do this. Got on the plane and it was one other person on the plane with me. And this is a, a flight that I'm used to taking between San Francisco and San Diego. And you know, the planes are packed and they run every hour, hour and 20 minutes. So I started to think, hmm, what's going on here? Came back that night, um, had my uh, operations team pull together the numbers and we had lost uh, about 80% of our work because, you know, pretty much 90% of our work is face to face. And so um, in March, I had to let go of 28 of our 40 employees. And um, this was a big deal. And I said to my employees on the way out, I said, this isn't the end. We're not going out this way. We're going to do what we need to do to bring this back. So I'm happy to report that we are back. Um, we are busier than we've ever been. Uh, and we meet this reality of more people understanding what we've been trying to say for almost 30 years now. So the pivot, the, the understanding um, where we are in this, this new reality of 2020. Um, first and foremost, um, we're going to continue to go deeper into the school systems and with our district partners. And we're fortunate to be partnered with the largest systems in the country, New York and Chicago, um, Broward County and Florida. So, so these are big, massive systems, Fort Worth, as well as, you know, some of the very small systems, Evergreen and places like that, that we have worked for a long time. And, and we're taking our partners deeper. We're using this opportunity to accelerate, to pay attention to what it was that held us up in the past, to really be about the joy of this work and, and embracing what it is in the future as our possibilities. The other thing is, um, and, and I got a lot of criticism for this about six years ago when I moved our work outside of education. And, and many people didn't know that my career actually began 
in advertising. And um, this was one of the unsolved aspects of my own journey. And, and I think our personal journey is what really facilitates this professional movement for us. And so um, I really had this hunger to get back to my study from the University of Pennsylvania in you know, media and technology. I had this interest to really find a way to, to bring that learning and that study from my first work into uh, what I'm doing. And so we ventured into the industry and uh, at this point are, are, are having great deal of success with the leading agencies in the country. We also expanded our work outside of the United States because the U.S. has this way of not really being able to examine itself. And, and as the big privileged one on the globe, um, we're often busy um, doing things that just aren't really the most effective for inclusivity, for diversity and for equity. And so taking our work down to the South Pacific, taking our work to Europe, taking our work to Canada has been a major way to understand how to do our work better here. And so working with the Ministry of Education in New Zealand for the past three years has helped us to understand what it would look like to have systemic equity work in the United States happening at the federal level happening at the state level, happening at the district level, and happening at the classroom level. And so now that we know what that looks like and what that feels like, it's exciting that we can bring some of that back into the United States now. So international work, greater sectors moving outside of education into corporate, into nonprofit, into our municipal work, as well as deepening our work in the education space and really partnering and learning from some of our most large complex systems in the country. So you're not bored. That's good, right? Um, and I, I, I have made some uh, difficult decisions and budget decisions in the past. When I was in Beaverton, I remember having to let oh, 11, 12% of, of certified teachers go at the times, 300 and something teachers all at once. Never have I hit a percent like 28 out of 40. So to see you still standing as an organization, well done. Uh, that's, that's impressive. And I have, I have a couple of questions here from you know, people in our audience, so to speak. So here's one. If we have not had courageous conversations about race with our staff, if we have not done that, how do you suggest we start? Well, this, this goes back to the, uh, the, the point that I raised about partnerships with the external. Um, first of all, to acknowledge that you haven't had it is the key piece, right? And so um, also acknowledge that while um, your system hasn't had it, uh, for the past 30 years, we have been constructing this conversation, facilitating this conversation, and getting very good at leading it. And so... Um, to bring in a support provider to launch that conversation and to set in place a culture that can hold on to that conversation is the first thing that you do. If you don't have the resources at this point, um, I recommend you know reading my book because it outlines it. But the facilitation of these conversations is still the key part and everyone needs to participate so it's hard to assign an internal facilitator when that will take that person out of their own development work at the personal level. Okay, so here's another one, and this is a long question, so I'm gonna paraphrase, okay? Um, basically, what this person's asking is, so you took some heat 
from transitioning away from just schools, and some of your work may be in the private sector, right? Um, what you notice there in terms of some of the challenges relative to courageous conversations and equity, what similarities and differences did you see, do you currently see in that environment, maybe compared to the public ed environment? Um, both in the uh, private sector and in the, you know, the, the world of, of schools and districts and uh, education, um, there is a loud profession that um, I want equity, um, that equity is important to me. Um, and often a great challenge in matching that profession, that, that exclamation to actual work and practice. And, and so there's a gap between the, the knowing and doing. And um, inside of that gap is a need to fortify absolutely the will and, and the value for this. But it's also to equip people with tools um, to give them practice. And so if we're honest, um, we go through a whole lot of education in the United States, um, all the way through our graduate work, you know, in top schools of education, et cetera. Same thing holds true in top schools of business. And there are no courses that really teach us how to have this conversation about race and how to apply that conversation to the practices that our work calls us to do. And so that's been our work. It's been to really fill in that gap and hold the space that yes, race matters. Um, and two, that we have a responsibility to advance our society towards racial equality. And, and so that practice needs to be um, thoughtful. It needs to be compassionate. We need to have empathy for people as they struggle with it. These are great leaders in corporate spaces, often paid a whole lot of money, having a whole lot of responsibility, but don't know the basic fundamentals of how to navigate the racial terrain. And we have to teach them that. So um, I want to honor your time. And I, I want to say uh, thank you for impacting me. Um, you've pushed me over the years um, and really almost um, forced me to look at some of my own perspectives, um, which in turn has made a difference for others I, I serve, hopefully. And so thank you personally, and thank you, of course, um, for supporting our leaders out there through this conversation. And I look forward to the day to see you face to face again and, and giving you a real handshake, uh, maybe beyond just a fist bump, right? So um, uh, I appreciate you, Glenn, thank you.